Welcome to Parent Driven Development. I'm Kay Wu, and today I'm here with my friend Chris. Hello, I am Chris Sexton, and I am here with my friend Allison. Hi, I'm Allison McMillan, and today we are joined by our guest, Dana Jones. So Dana Jones is an engineering manager at Abstract, building excellent distributed engineering teams. Dana has been working in the software industry for over 25 years and as a web developer for 18. Dana is a mom to four incredible kids, ranging in age from 13 to 18. And when not working, she enjoys spending time with her family, quilting, scrapbooking, fishing, reading, and camping. Welcome, Dana. Thank you so much for having me. So, Dana, can we start by having you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, besides what you covered in the bio, I guess I can add to that that I was born and raised in Texas, and I came into software development through a very non-traditional means. I don't have a degree in software engineering, and I didn't go to a boot camp. So, I came about this because I married a software engineer, and one day saw him doing some tech editing, and it didn't look hard. So (laughs) that's how I joined this industry and I've loved it. And I've kind of progressed lately from doing software engineering to doing more people engineering. So people development more than software development. And I think that's been a really fun new phase in my career. Yeah. So Dana, you uh, mentioned that you taught yourself how to code and then you have some more recent accomplishments as well that I know of. And so do you want to talk a little bit about that? I'm not sure specifically what accomplishments you're talking about. Do you want to give me a hint on on what you're referring to? Yeah, I was just uh, sort of referring to that you've recently gone back to school to get your oh, degree. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So it doesn't feel like an accomplishment yet because I'm still in the middle of it. <laughs> I started going to college right out of high school and then, you know, kind of life got in the way and I wasn't able to finish. And my oldest got ready to go to college a little over a year ago, and we were going on college visits. And uh, we sat in on a class, and everybody that was there was much more traditionally aged than I was at the time. You know, there were there were kids right out of high school and you know in their early twenties, and they just seemed so complacent, like taking the whole experience for granted. And it's something that I had always felt like I missed out on. I loved school. And so when I saw that, I realized that there was nothing holding me back from going back to school except myself and the commitment to do it. So about a year and a half ago, I went back to college. I go to school full time, work full time and raise kids full time. So I don't really do anything else (laughs) other than those things. Uh, And I have about three more semesters to go and then I'll be done with my bachelor's. So then I can I think I can feel comfortable calling it an accomplishment. Right now, it just seems like it's still a challenge. feels like being able to do all of that at once is, <laughs> to me, it sounds like an in-progress accomplishment, but definitely an accomplishment. Yeah, that's true. So, I guess each semester counts as an accomplishment. It's definitely a lot of organizing and planning and coordinating and leaning on other people in my life. I don't think I could do it without the support of my husband, for example. So you talked about showing yourself that you could go back to school and do that, but you didn't say why. Like, what prompted going through and juggling three full-time gigs? Oh, that's a good question. So it wasn't really because I felt like I necessarily needed the degree for my career. I mean, there are some jobs out there that you you can't even get past the front door without uh, without at least a bachelor's degree. So I guess it will give me more options in that sense. 
but mostly the experience of school is what I missed. You know, the ability to learn in a really focused way where there were deadlines and expectations that kind of forced you into moving outside of what was comfortable and what was rote. So that that attracted me. I'm not majoring in CIS, by the way. I'm majoring in management. So by the time I made this decision, I had already started to move into leadership. And I just decided that I knew enough about programming that there wasn't anything I was going to learn. It's in, interesting, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't much I was going to learn there that I didn't already you know, know and hadn't learned the hard way. But management was new to me. And there's a lot of change around management philosophy. So that's why I decided to choose that as a major. Um, yeah, I definitely see the a number of people in the industry are kind of pushing back against the the traditional school path, which is what exactly what I did. And I, and I can totally get that. But I guess the flip side of it is people have been working with other people for a lot longer than people have been working with computers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I don't know, I, I wouldn't want to speak for anybody else, but I find the the people side much more challenging. People are much less predictable than computers. Um, <laughs> so any help I can get there, I welcome. I thought about that before where like I really enjoy working as a software engineer because I like solving puzzles. And when you do that, you're constantly in this cycle of like wanting to solve harder and harder puzzles. And I'm definitely with you there that I think people are the most difficult puzzles at all because they do not, in fact, follow strict rules that I just have to remember the ordering of, right? Like they just yeah. throw, throw chaos in there when they feel like it. <laughs> yeah. I never, and then there's like all these squishy feelings, yeah. you know? <laughs> I know. I never thought about it in those terms of that, you know, the people team is kind of like the final boss of complex problems sequencing, <laughs> but I guess it really is. I mean, that, that resonates once you've said that, it makes sense that that would be a big part of why it appeals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's cool too that uh, you, you mentioned going, you know, obviously the, the school work and, and the energy and all that, it's, it's like quite a challenge, but in some ways what I heard was that, the structure of it allows you to be pretty clear within that environment, whether you're succeeding or not. And, you know, in a good good workplace, you would have some of that, but typically workplaces are less clear about that than school with grades and whatnot. And then parenting for sure is like such a long game that is something I'm describing to friends of mine that are about to become parents that this is just like, such a hard job because I have no idea whether I'm doing okay at it or not. And like the person I would get feedback from, you know, can't wipe their own butt yet. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah, I miss that aspect about school for sure too. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think you could probably plot that on a continuum. You know, (laughs) I have a lot of teenagers right now, so I'm at a phase where most of the feedback I get from them is hard to interpret if I get feedback at all, because a lot of it sounds really critical. And I would say that managing people falls somewhere between doing software development and parenting in terms of like that feedback loop. It's one of the things I struggled to adjust to in moving to management is you so rarely get told whether you're doing well or not. I mean, you you hear more more often when you're not doing well than when you are doing well. So yeah, but parenting is tough. I might not know for decades whether I did a good job of parenting them or not. And I kind of think sometimes about my brother. I was just talking yesterday with my dad about this. When my brother was a teenager, he was a handful. Like everybody expected him to be a real problem adult, you know, like 
there were a lot of red flags. And now he's one of the most dependable, responsible, hardest working people that I know. And I, I take a whole lot of comfort from that on the days when my kids are being a little more difficult than usual, that there's still a lot of room to turn around problematic behavior. So how, um, you mentioned that you're sort of basically doing three, three full-time things, right? Working full-time, parenting, and going to school. You mentioned a little bit about how you feel like you do that successfully. Can you dive into that for us? What are the things that you found most important or most helpful? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is communication and just making sure that the people who are impacted by the two other jobs at each one of those jobs knows what's coming. So like, for example, at work, everybody who needs to know knows what my school schedule is and knows when I'm going to be, for example, less available because midterms or finals are coming up. My husband and I have shared calendars, so he always knows when my classes are and um, when big assignments are due because I put those on the calendar as well. And then my kids are old enough that they get it. They don't really care that much yet, if I'm being totally honest. They're not that impressed that I'm going back to school. I'm hoping that when they're adults, then they'll get it a little better. But I have just, a feeling that'll, that'll be something that they'll come back later and be like, wait a second. I really <laughs> hope. <did> what? <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I don't think they appreciate now that it's hard because to them, they're just, you know, they're at an age where it's normal for them to be very, very self-absorbed. So what I do kind of only resonates with them when it bumps up against something that they're doing, right? Like, I don't know if anybody else on the panel feels that way as well, but kids' self-absorption is so baked into the equation that I try not to take too much of a sense of accomplishment from my kids' reactions or not, because I'm not that on their radar, to be honest. Yeah. So mine are... The oldest is just becoming a teenager. So I'm a little bit behind where y'all are. And it's just one of those like, you know, transition to that age. Then a lot of the concerns or the the dynamic that was there before just is different. And there there is a lot of kid focus <laughs> in their yeah. heads. Yeah, absolutely. At this phase, honestly, I could be largely replaced by like an Uber account and a credit card. My, my role is <laughs> <laughs> like transport and sustenance that's really the most the most I've often deep. thought how young can, would it be okay for me to just call a lift to take the kids to practice like, right like at that's some point just, it crosses that line right <laughs> it'll be yeah, okay <laughs> that would be the next big startup in fact I heard there might be one in San Francisco that's basically like lift but all the drivers are vetted and they just drive kids around to soccer practice and pick them up from school and stuff like that I would totally buy into that well, there's so many times where it's like I'm rushing to get home from work so I can do the thing and uh, I'm now behind and the poor kid is like stuck outside of the, you know, school waiting, you know, wandering down the freeway, whatever it is. Yeah. My mom did actually a lot of times in the summers, especially she just like would hire uh, high school students with their licenses and good references to just like they weren't nannies or babysitters. We were old enough not to need that, but they were just transportation in our suburban environment so that you know she could work like a normal day and and we would we would be occupied and, and transported because yeah no and, and that's exactly what we're looking at for this <laughs> not quite that it's it's a little more hands-on than just driving kids around but it's number one requirement for someone to help us because we both work is we need the person that can help cart the kids around to the places they need to go if you can't do that 
like that's just a non-starter. Yeah. 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 I'm generally skeptical of self-driving cars as well, but that's like that's another use case where I'm like, oh yes, that would be amazing if you're uh-huh. like if it was totally autonomous. Even if it only went at like 25 miles per hour, it would be so useful. Well, I'm more thinking of the um, all the other kids learning to drive. How about instead of that, they just get self-driving cars because they're the ones that I'm worried about endangering my kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my oldest has a license and my second has a permit. So we're kind of at that phase where sometimes they can be counted on to do things like run errands and drop each other off. But between their own searches for, you know, teenager jobs and school and stuff like that, they're not the most reliable (laughs) sources of transport long-term. A lot of times it's last minute, you know, I'll tell the oldest to go take the youngest somewhere, but yeah, self-driving cars like Jetson style. Do you guys remember that? (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. You push the button and it just like pops out. Yes. Oh yeah. I want that. Like, like the little shoots that they use at the bank where you could just drop the kid in the chute, program it in the destination and send them off. Oh, that'd be awesome. I, I don't, I mean, I don't, especially with kids' licenses and permits. One of my biggest fears is, you know, driving, especially in this country. Like, you know, all the kids are doing it and this seems like that's the single biggest risk to their future is <laughs> like what could happen while driving around as a teenager. Like, yeah, I have a couple stories there. <laughs> there really is not a whole lot more scary. There's not a lot more fearful moments than the time that the kid drives off by themselves for the first time, right? Because like, at least in Indiana, where I live, the first 50 hours or so that they drive, they do with an adult in the car with them. But the first time you stand on the sidewalk and snap those pictures that go on Instagram <laughs> driving off on their own, it's terrifying. You're like, I really want you to come home, please. Yes. Don't go far. Just don't go far, please. Don't go far. It, and then, and then, you know, the oldest was coming home from school and we had to deal with moving things in and out of dorm rooms and school was too far away for me to help. Like it was a, I think it was like an 18 hour drive to school. So I ended up renting the kid a U-Haul to go and deal with stuff. And long story short, we ended up with an $800 U-Haul damage bill, two calls from police officers, and incident report on two other damaged vehicles. So, yeah, it's a real fear. You should be a little worried. Oh, no. <laughs> that, that doesn't help. Yeah, it was still fender benders, and nobody was injured, thank God. So it yeah. could have been yeah. way, way worse. But there, it was emotional trauma to spare for that for that day. Dana, do you do classes over the summer or do you just do them over the school year because it's a little easier? Yeah, that's a good question. So this is my second summer. Uh, Last summer was my first one and I did do classes all through the summer. And the school that I go to, the summer classes are very intensive. They're only one month long. So last summer I did calculus in a month. I did accounting in a month. And then I, I took the easy route for the last one and I did like health. This summer I feel like I need a break. Because I've been going, like I started spring and then I did summer and then I did fall and then I just finished spring again. And I was really kind of getting exhausted and burnt out. So this summer, I'm only registered for one one credit class and it's professional development class, which is, you know, a lot of the classes I have to take are pretty ironic. Like given what I do for a living and where I am in my career, like, you know, some of the beginning management courses are definitely not noon material, I'll say that. But I need this time off. I need to you know, reinvigorate. I need to spend some time with my kids. There's some stuff around the house I want to get done. And 
going over the summer wouldn't have saved me a semester anyway. So I, I decided to just kind of take it easy this summer. Mm, nice. And so the other thing that I'm curious about is, you know, learning to code when your kids were little, right? That was also sort of a big, a big undertaking. I'm curious. And I know that when, uh, when my oldest was younger, you gave me some just personal tips of like things to, things to do or ways to think about things. I'm curious, like these two big things that have happened at very different stages in your life as a parent, like how have they been different? How have the challenges been different? Yeah. That's interesting to think about. So it, a lot of time has passed between when I was learning to code and now when I'm going back to school, but they are kind of similar shifts in in the sense that it's like a very different phase of life and lots of demands on muscles you don't normally exercise. When I was learning to code, I was mostly freelancing and working on my own project, my own company. So I was able to be really, really flexible with my time. So while, you know, I had toddlers, if they needed my attention, I would just set aside whatever I was doing and I could always come back to it later. We didn't really keep typical work hours. So it, it was no big deal to take off from like one to four or, you know, whatever time we needed to during the day and then just make up time later. There also wasn't the pressure to work a certain number of hours. So when whatever amount of work I thought needed to get done by the end of the day was done, I could just stop and make it up later. I sort of controlled my own destiny. Things are a little different now in that, you know, like any other manager, my, my calendar is wall-to-wall meetings. I can't just decide because a kid needs a hug that I'm not going to go to a meeting. That's made it a little easier by the phase of, of life that they are in. They understand that better. And they're aware of time and they're more okay with delayed gratification. I don't know that I could have gone back to school when they were little. In fact, I'm pretty certain I couldn't have, at least not at this pace. I, I take four classes a semester, which is a full load. I, there's no way I could have done that when they were little, not with nursing and being pregnant. And, you know, I was one or the other of those things, nursing or pregnant for eight solid years. And I was able to work during that time, but there's no way I could have thrown school on top of that. There just wasn't enough of me to go around. Like, literally, <laughs> every part of me was in use by then. <laughs> so, yeah, it's different. And, and I'll, I'll say this, too, like about school now. It isn't so much that the work is hard. The work is actually fairly easy because most of it I've learned, again, the hard way just by, by working. It's time management. Driving back and forth to classes because not all of them are available online having enough energy at the end of the day to focus on writing papers or doing projects. That's tough. I don't have the stamina now that I did in my twenties, not even close. And then trying to coordinate on group projects. If group projects felt awful in my twenties, they're just so much worse now. Most of the people I've worked on group projects with were much younger. And so they, they needed a lot more assistance and kind of handholding. So. I think I would have a hard time going back to academic group projects after having worked on teams professionally. I didn't even think about group projects. <laughs> yeah, I just finished a project management class and it's so, so very different than what project management really looks like in software <laughs> that it was, it was hard to bite my tongue. Like it was months of biting my tongue. It's, just, <laughs> it's not even close. There's the endless Gantt charts and workflow <laughs> diagrams. And honestly, that all just goes right in the shitter whenever you actually get to I, I don't know that I could project. have been quiet. I think I would have been storming out of rooms. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I needed the grade, so I made it through. <laughs> uh, so I definitely think it's interesting you mentioning the different phases with the kids and them understanding. As as mine have gotten older, I definitely think things like professional development or, you know, deadlines at work, that sort of thing are much easier to balance between the two and like they get it. Whereas when they were little, that just it was impossible. It was, yeah. it was just, so, and you would feel, it felt so much more guilty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? How some things are harder and some things are easier. Like they, they understand it and they need me less. That said, the mom in me is aware of the fact that there are so many fewer grains of sand in the top uh-huh. than in the bottom. And I am reluctant to spend time out of, you know, away from home when I don't have to, for example, I try to be home as much as I can when they're around and I'm still trying to talk them into things like family game nights, which sometimes they'll do. So they're more understanding, but they're, they're also kind of less available as well. They have lives of their own. They're developing into their own people. And I'm just, I'm, I'm now a minor player in, in the play that is their life. I'm not a major character anymore, which is, that's hard to swallow, but it's natural and normal and healthy. Yeah, and I definitely think optimizing for the things that it's the high quality engagement. Like it's not necessarily waiting while they're, you know, taking swim classes that <laughs> that doesn't count. They're off doing something else. Yeah. But, but instead, I want to, you know, to have the family dinner or the games night or or the whatever and would rather juggle some of those things. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know about y'all's kids. Mine are so different that everybody gets together and does an activity thing is less and less common. I try, I, I have to meet them individually where they are. Like I have a theater kid and I have an athlete and I have an introverted sci-fi nerd and I have a Hamilton fan. So I kind of have to meet them in their own, uh, at their own level and in their own time as well. I, I think those, those, categories of kids could they would hang out well with my kids <laughs> they're pretty eclectic too <laughs> yeah and it's it's like not trying to not give options or make it be the thing that we have always done so you know hopefully it's it's not a, a question as to whether or not they want to participate in it like no no this is what we're doing so come on <laughs> yeah as much as possible yeah dinners are like that for us like there are certain things where tradition trumps interest Family dinners, if we're all home, we do still do the family dinner thing. So, yeah, it's a balancing act. I'm curious if you're so I know that your oldest like recently went off to college. I'm curious if you're like that for me. I mean, my my kids are young, right? It's like <laughs> we're working on crossing the street safely right now on a street that's <laughs> usually like pretty empty, right? This is like the this is where, where I'm at in terms of like encouraging independence. But I'm curious how, how or if your perspective changed at all about sort of family time or how you balance things or, or whatnot, like as your oldest like went away and you, you know, saw them less frequently. Yeah. So it's funny that you should mention crossing the street because I have a kid that was a freshman this past year. And I would go drop him off at school and I would still be like, watch the traffic when you get out of the car and go in. <laughs> so I don't know that that part ever goes away. Maybe maybe I can get a little more relaxed about it with time. But yeah, the worry is still there. As far as independence goes, I don't, I don't have that one figured out yet. I don't have the 
independence equation totally figured out. It's so dependent on the kid, more than the age even. Like my youngest could be fully independent now. And the oldest came back from school and wasn't ready, didn't do well in school and doesn't want the independence of living away now. So that one will take a little more maturing before we're there. And yeah, I'm not sure. I think what it made me realize with the next one that I have, she will be a senior this next year. I have another one that's facing her last year at high school. And it's made me get committed to forcing more independence now while they're still at home. It's that whole safe environment to fail thing that you hear about often in tech and in parenting. (laughs) Whereas, like, for example, she has to get a job this summer. It's not, it's not an option. It can be a part-time job and I don't really care what the job is, but she has to get a job. She has to learn to manage her own money and earn it and be responsible to other people and, you know, do some sort of service and, you know, all the things you get from a job, your first job. And then also I'm trying to force myself actually at work and with my kids, ironically enough, to ask more questions and give fewer answers. So when they come to me and they say things like, the smoke alarm in my room is going off. Okay, so what do you think you should do about that? Rather than jumping up and going to fix it, which teaches them nothing, ask them, why do you think that is? How do you think you could correct that? And then when they figure it out, or at least if they start trying to figure it out, then I might jump in to help them. But it's more about training me not to overparent than it is about training them, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. So much sense. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a lot of parenting is sort of about training your, like training yourself, right? Training how you react to things, how you approach things, how, right? What you're comfortable doing and, and not doing and how, I, so my partner and I have this conversation often because he is less comfortable with a lot of things that I'm comfortable with. So he tends to be the one that sort of hovers or like does something for our children or, you know, like does just like jumps in more. And I tend to be the one This just happened the other week where he was doing something and I was, I was like, our son can do it. Like, just let him, he just graduated from a balance bike to like a a real bike. And he was like really hovering over him as our son was trying to ride the bike. And my son and I had gone out previously and he had done fine. And then all of a sudden with this hovering, he was sort of like less sure. And so, you know, I said to my husband, I was like, I was like, he can do it. You need to like, you need to give him a little bit of space. But this is like, I feel like training yourself as a parent is the thing and helping to encourage, you know, your partner or others is to like, how to, how to do that, when to give space, when to jump in. It's hard. Yeah, definitely. And, and I don't know, I, I, I'm more like your husband and my husband is more like you in terms of the, like giving them freedom to try things and exercise those muscles and things like that. The first lesson that I can really remember other than, you know, like teaching them to crawl, teaching them to walk, that kind of stuff that they more or less figure out on their own. Anyway, the first one that I can remember learning as a parent of like controlling your own behavior for their psychological good is that whole falling thing, like literal falling, you know, when a, when a toddler falls and you have to control how you react, if you're like, Oh my gosh. And you swoop in, then they get more fearful than they would. If you just kind of like, and learn to literally get back up after you fall. (laughs) So that's, that's the first one that I can remember. 
that I was starting What's to surprised my- surprised me was not necessarily the physical things like that. Although I wasn't, I didn't understand that until having to deal with it with, you know, through my kids, but it was, you know, the emotional and social things that go along with that, which is so-and-so is being mean and not, not being able to interject or prevent that, but really wanting to, and then also having to control my reaction of, you know, learn that there's times where I should be outraged and mad with them. And there are other yeah. times when I, you know, they come and complain to me about something and those, and I should be like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, because to show them that that needs to be their response. But, you know, all I want to do is go chase down some kid on the schoolyard because he's being mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's a meme going around that speaks to that. Maybe I can scare that up later. But so my kids have been great at training me not to react when they are confessing something. So I guess what I mean by that is like my youngest daughter will tell me about her day more than any of the rest of them. She shares more about what's going on with her. And my instinct is always to fix something. So a lot of what she tells me about it happens at lunchtime. This girl wouldn't sit with that girl or that other girl got mad because these two girls sat together and the one girl didn't look at her enough or, you know, it's middle school. So it's a lot of (laughs) very deeply felt, very unimportant things. And so she would come home at the beginning of middle school and start telling me about this girl wouldn't talk to that girl or somebody is mad at her because she wouldn't take a side. And my instinct was always, well, maybe you should, you know, to offer her solutions or ideas or suggestions. And she started clamming up on me. And I realized she's not looking for me to fix it. She just wants to be heard. And that's something that I've noticed too, a lot of times with direct reports is in one-on-ones, a lot of times they're sharing things with me that they don't want me to fix. They just want me to know, right? Like, I don't know if that resonates with you, Allison, but a lot of times what they're telling me is a problem that they want to fix on their own. They just want somebody to know that they're dealing with it, not somebody to, you know, clean up, clean it up for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, not not as much with my children yet, although I do have to be careful, like when my son tells me about playground, you know, preschool playground drama to not <laughs> every once in a while after they go to bed, my husband will be like, oh, that that kid, he's what is his what is their deal? You know? But yeah, I mean, definitely with folks that I manage, there is often a question of like, OK, like, do you want to talk through a solution with me? Do you want to, do you just want me to be aware of this and try to find some, like how, you know, what is the action that you would like me to take here? Sort of checking in with them to make sure that I'm not ineffective, but also make sure that I'm not like jumping in too much to a thing that they have a handle on and they're just sort of like giving me an update about. Yeah, for sure. And with my kids and I, we've developed a shorthand for it. When they're telling me something, they just want me to be aware of, but they don't want me to react to or do anything with, they'll say, I'm just saying. And I know that's a common phrase, but there's a certain way that they say it, that I know, okay, this is informational only. I'm just <laughs> venting. Don't, you know, don't form any opinions. Don't have any reaction. Just be the rubber duck. So sometimes I rubber duck my kids. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I kind of stepped into it one time. There was one time there was a girl that my uh, daughter was telling me about who's a little bit boy crazy. So she was constantly having crushes on different boys each day. And I made a comment, just offhanded comment. And I said, 
I'm going to change her name. <laughs> I said, Sarah sure likes a lot of boys. And I didn't hear anything about Sarah for weeks. And then I finally had to ask, is she still at your school? And my, my daughter kind of got shifty eyed and she said, yeah, but I don't want to tell you anything about her. Cause I don't want you to think bad about her. But I was like, oh, I wasn't thinking. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't a judgment. It was just an observation. <laughs> yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Definitely using those sorts of topics to, Try, drive out some of those conversations is tricky. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't want to ever make them feel like they can't share anything with me because the older they get, the harder the topics are going to be. Like someday it's not going to be Sarah likes boys. Someday it's going to be Sarah offered me a hit of a joint, you know? And I don't want them to ever feel like my reactions put them in a position where they might not want to share stuff with me. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's such a, I feel like it's such a, fine line right like not react at all react a little bit react in a way that it, like it's just yeah it's such a balance and I'm sure that it differs with each child I mean even like again like my kids are so young but they are they are so so different from one another that you know I imagine that as they get older you know how I like have serious conversations with them or the ways in which we approach things together etc will be different for each child because I don't think the same approach will work with both of them. Yeah, I think you're right in that. I think that people are comfortable sharing at different, like this is the thing that I've noticed at different times of day. So for example, my oldest does most of, of most deep sharing, like really late at night. My middle two children, it's very unpredictable when they will feel like sharing and where they are like some of them want to be one-on-one when they do it some of them have to be like they still will do this a couple of them will still like lay their head in my lap and it's just that they're what makes them comfortable and feel safe to share things that they think I might not react well to or that might not go over for them in the best way really depends on their personalities and the relationship that we have because it's they're unique individuals. My relationship with them is each unique. How they respond is unique. So yeah, it's a lot of variables that kind of takes us back to what we said at the beginning that people are squishy and complicated systems and there's a lot of ways to mess it up, honestly. Yeah, totally. The time of day thing was interesting. I thought it was only a late at night occurrence because that seems to be the pattern at our house is that you wait till it's you're supposed to be going to bed or maybe a little bit after that. And then and then you can sit and chat about anything for a long time. And it doesn't seem to be possible any other time of the day. Yeah. I think that's the personality for, for your kids. And and it could change too. I believe it, the, yeah. one, the one constant is whatever worked two years ago is not gonna work now. Do you can can you identify with that? Like the motivators that, change as they change. That's so funny. And it's funny you say that. I was talking to my coworker uh, yesterday who has newborn twins uh, and his comment was, if you ever think, all right, this works, we totally got it tomorrow. That's the only like surefire <laughs> guarantee that it is going to be horrible tomorrow. Oh yeah. It's so <laughs> tempting fate to even think that. Right, yeah. You've done, done jinxed it now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's true. So now is the portion of the show where we talk about genius or fail moments. So this is where we will each share a story from the last week or two about a time that something that we did, big or small, that we thought was just a really incredible genius moment where we were 
on it or creative or innovative and did something really amazing or where something went not quite as planned and we sort of felt a little bit like a failure. So I don't want to go first. I'll go. I don't know that it's a big moment or a big thing. And maybe other people have already thought of this, but I realized that I was the keeper of all knowledge when it came to schedule. So we talked about this a little earlier in the, in the program. We talked about that my husband and I share calendars, but I wasn't sharing calendars with my kids. So all of their stuff was on our calendars, but they never had awareness of what they were doing when. And so as part of my push to try to have my, you know, my second nest lever be more aware of her own stuff and handle her own life a little better, we've started communicating their own schedule and making them put it in their own phones. So now they know when their own dentist appointments, doctor appointments, you know, tumbling classes and all of that kind of stuff is coming up. They'll still need us to take them to a lot of it. But my hope is that over time, there will be fewer questions of can I do X on Y day? Because they can they can just check their own calendar and know that. So I'm just trying to it's a it's a small way I'm trying to push them towards more self-management and less dependent. Nice. I definitely second that and set up uh, basically the four of us in the family have, have the same business account that we use at work and share. And that's how we do all our email and calendar. And it goes on whoever's calendar it is. Yeah. If somebody, nice. if somebody's driving, they get a separate calendar invite and that sort of thing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I have a genius. So my son likes to stay up late. <laughs> 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 so we we put him to bed at you know regular time and then but he's sort of he's a night owl he sleeps later in the morning he it takes him a while at the end of the day to, to unwind so he'll often come out of his room and come downstairs to hang out with us and so at first we sort of we imposed like really strict rules so rules were like, he, he's not allowed to touch any toys. He's not allowed to interrupt conversations. Like he's not allowed to sort of like jump around. Like if he's going to be downstairs, he has to, it's adult time. So, you know, he has to be sort of like quiet and well behaved and, and whatnot. I thought he sort of got used to that. And he was at first he was bored and he'd go back to sleep. And then he sort of got used to that. And so uh, recently we've been sort of putting him to work. So if he comes downstairs, like there are jobs to do. He has to be folding laundry. He has to wipe down counters. He has to like wash. Like I taught him how to a couple of nights ago. I was like, well, you can either go upstairs and go to bed or like and stay in your room and play with your toys or you can learn how to wash this pot. And he was like, I'll learn how to wash that pot. So I taught him like how to wash pots and pans and we were doing laundry and I was like I'm gonna teach you how to fold the shirt and he was like oh I actually already know how to fold shirts and he took a shirt and he folded the shirt actually very very nicely so now it's it's actually a little nice when he doesn't go to sleep because he <laughs> takes like half, we, like my husband and I basically give him like half of the chores that we're supposed to be doing so he like he wipes down countertops and he'll like, uh, he'll vacuum a little bit, you know, he'll wipe down the like mats underneath the, the two high chairs and he'll, you know, he'll like wash any remaining like dishes that are in the sink. He'll do laundry if there's laundry out to fold. It's, it's, it's really nice. So I don't know, maybe it's a fail that he's like up late, but I think it's genius that he's doing all of these things. <laughs> 
how long will he will he stay up and do that kind of stuff before he's like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to bed now. I mean, a while. So this is the part that my husband and I disagree on because like he'll he'll stay up until like 10 or 1030 and he'll like he'll literally go upstairs when my husband and I go upstairs to go to sleep. And so that's like, you know, my husband feels like that's too late and it's not good for his growth and blah, blah, blah. But he also I mean, he'll sleep until eight the next morning. So, you know, it's I'm sort of fine with it but he'll I mean he'll stay up like is he doing a good job with the chores he's do, well so I mean we have we like he doesn't do shit half ass like we've taught him the right like he was wiping down the counter and he like wasn't really doing it the way my husband sort of likes it to be done so my husband like showed him the correct way to like effectively wipe down the counter I mean he's like he's a good laundry folder I mean so that's yeah he does a good job <laughs> There you go. Nice. That's just my questions. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. So I'll throw in one um, and I'm going to go way back for when the kids were uh, littler and kind of related to wiping down counters and stuff. Uh, I remember we were prepping once for uh, house guests to come over and it was like, okay, here's, here's a little spray bottle with cleaner. Here's some paper towels. I want you to go wipe down the counters in the table. And they were all excited to have the spray bottle because that was the fun part. Um, and I remember uh, my daughter was actually crawling around on the counter so she could reach all the places. But the thing that we didn't realize was it wasn't just like normal Windex. It was like the Clorox cleaner. And so she sprayed it down and wiped everything off. But uh, in the process, bleached spots on the pretty dress she was wearing and then had these nasty bleach uh, on this nice purple dress and was very very sad about this and wanted us to fix it (laughs) so that was a bit of a fail but she was doing a good job cleaning and was so happy up until then (laughs) yeah I've had I've had bleach incidents as well so I can relate to that there was one time that we just bleached it more and then acted like it was on purpose (laughs) yes that's a good that's a good Okay. Thank you, Dana, for joining us as a guest. If people want to find you or learn more about you, where are some places they can do that? So my handle is Dana Britt everywhere. So I'm Dana Britt on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and I do a little bit of blog posting, but not in a while. So there's a link to that blog post from my Twitter profile as well. Thanks so much for listening to Parent Driven Development. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like us to chat about on air, please email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com or find us on Twitter at parentdrivendev. And if you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon or patreon.com slash parentdrivendev or rate us on iTunes. Thanks so much, everyone. Awesome. Thank you.